Thank you, Brother Jeremy. We're reading again this morning from John chapter 21. John chapter 21, beginning of verse 1. I'm aware of the fact that uh, we looked at this uh, event last week, and we're going to continue our look at this event. This happened in the weeks after the resurrection, the weeks after the resurrection, but before the ascension. Uh, so this could have happened very well one week or a couple of weeks after what we would call Easter Sunday. Last week, we looked at Jesus' awareness of the disciples. He saw them uh, before they saw him, and he was aware of their frustration. He was aware of their need, and he knew exactly how to meet that need. Uh, now we're going to zero in on Peter. Uh, now we often uh, are a lot like Peter, but a lot of times we say, well, I don't want to be that way. Well, not so fast. Let's look at the apostle Peter and look at how we're like Peter and learn some lessons from it. In John chapter 21, verse 1, after these things, Peter showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. Then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat. They were not far from the land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish, which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We have a lot to learn from the apostle Peter and Jesus' dealings with him. And as we zero in on Peter, our first uh, impulse might be, well, we don't really like to be like Peter, but Let's look at something about Peter that's good. 
First of all, Peter just plunges in. John realized it was the Lord on the sea. And as, uh, when John realized it was the Lord, he whispered over to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter grabbed his coat and he plunged into the sea. And you see, Peter's intention was to get as close as he could to Jesus as quickly as he possibly could. Now, this is not the first time. If you remember in Matthew chapter 14, there was a big storm and the disciples were out on the sea. They were out on the sea and they were battling and rowing and here came Jesus walking on the water. Well, if Jesus is on the water, Peter wanted to be on the water. So he said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, well, have it your way. And so Peter stepped out of the boat and for a little while he walked on the water. You see, he wanted to be with Jesus wherever Jesus was. That's a good thing. We understand then that he was the first one to the fire. Jesus had a fire there. Jesus had some food there. And he was the first one to the fire. Then the others came, and they're all around the fire with Jesus. Now, how great that must have been. Because you have to imagine what had happened just a few weeks earlier, maybe a week, maybe a couple of weeks, but we know it was not that long ago that they had experienced the terror of the arrest. When Judas betrayed Jesus and they arrested him, it said they all fled. They were terrified. And then, of course, the bitter shame of the betrayal. Peter was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he was challenged. He betrayed Jesus three times. The horrible details of the crucifixion. And you know they knew all about crucifixion. It was a very public thing. And then the long weekend. The long weekend that Peter had to endure. Two passages of scripture, Matthew and Mark, say that after Peter heard the, cro the cock crow, the rooster crowed, said he went out and wept bitterly. A little bit more to that. The word bitterly means uncontrollable sobbing. He had a meltdown. But also, Kenneth Weiss says the structure of the verb tells us that he wept continually. He cried his eyes out all weekend long, uncontrollably. Then, of course, on the morning of the first day of the week, the resurrection. And they all saw Jesus alive in Jerusalem, very briefly, up in an upper room. But now this was different. This was where it all started. This was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee where they really received the call of Jesus for the first time. And it did involve a fishing boat. And there they were around the fire, Jesus and the disciples in a familiar place. So much like those wonderful days before all of the other happened. And it tells us this, how right and how good it is to be with Jesus and to be in fellowship with Jesus. And as they were around that fire, it just could not, could not help but think just how great this is, just like it used to be. But then something changes. Jesus pulls Peter aside and he says, speaking to him directly, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? more than these. And of course, the passage of scripture tells us he asked him three different times. Was Jesus finally clearing the air, addressing the issue of the betrayal? Was this the first time Jesus 
talked to Peter about this? Not likely. And the reason is because at the grave, if you remember in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, the angel said, you go tell the disciples and Peter, Jesus is going before you into Galilee. He wanted to be sure that Peter knew for sure that Jesus was alive. On the Emmaus Road, if you remember, the disciples, two of the disciples that were not a, a part of the twelve, they were walking along and they met Jesus on the road. And Jesus talked to them and then they burst in on the eleven that were in the upper room. And as soon as they burst in, the eleven said, The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Before Jesus appeared to the other disciples, Jesus appeared to Simon Peter alone on the day of the resurrection. The betrayal could not be ignored. We know just by human nature, there was no way Peter or Jesus would have ignored that. Uh, Peter, in that time, was forgiven. Peter, in that time, was restored fellowship with Jesus Christ. And it tells us a little bit about that in this passage of Scripture. Now, if Jesus and Peter had never had this discussion about the betrayal, I would think that that would probably be some apprehension uh, over G, uh, Peter's head. But what happens? As soon as he sees this, Jesus is on the shore, he plunges right in. He's so eager to get to Jesus, doesn't sound like a man under conviction. Sounds like a man that's so joyful to get back with Jesus Christ. So if Jesus was not clearing the air because of the betrayal, what was the reason for the questions? Well, we have some clues. We have some clues in the questions themselves, and we have some clues in some earlier conversations between Jesus and Peter. One clue is found in the question. Now, the English says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? But it's important the word that Jesus chose because there were three Greek words for love. One, of course, was eros, which is romantic love between a man and a woman. The other is phileo, which is a brotherly love. It's a higher love. It's an affectionate love. It's a very strong human love. Then there's the third one. Uh, the word for love is agape. That is the word that Jesus used. He used the very strong, godlike love. A self-sacrificing love. A love that's focused in God. A love that's focused on others. And what he was really asking is, Peter, where's your focus? Do you love me with a God-focused love? Do you love me with a love that's focused on others? Is your focus right? Is your attitude right? This is important because Jesus had already addressed this problem in the life of Peter early on. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 21. Passage of scripture that reveals some things to us. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. 
We see, first of all, Jesus' prediction. And a normal prediction would be this. Jesus began to show his disciples how he would go to Jerusalem. That's a prediction. That's not the word that's used, and that's important. The word that's used here is that he must go to Jerusalem. Now, the word must here in the original Greek is the word, little Greek word called de, D-E-I. And it means necessary in the nature of the case. So what he said is there are a lot of things that, that make it necessary for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things and be killed and raised the third day. Well, what things could those be? Well, Jesus speaks of the fact that it's necessary, and the disciples would know these things because there was a passage of Scripture that shows how necessary it is. The sinfulness of man made it necessary for Jesus to do this. You know the passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We are all, all of us, as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Our own sins, our own iniquities have taken us away, and the holiness of God demands a penalty. It is necessary. The holiness of God cannot tolerate the sinfulness of man. So there's a penalty, the wrath of God. But now, then the love of God makes it necessary that something had to be done. God sent his son to take that penalty. It was necessary in the nature of the case for Jesus to go to Jerusalem, for him to be killed. He said, I must do this. That's not the only time Jesus used this word. At his arrest, Jesus said, I could call 12 legions of angels. But then he says this, how then will these scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen this way? Did you catch that word? The scriptures say it must happen this way. In Luke chapter 24, we go back to the disciples on the Emmaus road. And on the Emmaus road, they were talking with Jesus, did not know it was Jesus. And they were questioning all the things that happened. And then Jesus started with the prophets and with the law and it says this, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into glory? That word ought is that same Greek word. It was necessary. So he asked the question that implies they knew the answer to this. Wasn't it necessary for Christ to suffer these things? So Jesus just didn't say, I will go to Jerusalem. Jesus said, I will go to Jerusalem because I have to go. It is necessary. I must go. Now, even with this strong language, look at Peter's response. Peter's response is this. He took him aside and began to rebuke him. He was scolding Jesus and said, be it far from you. This will not happen. This will not happen. Now, Catch what's going on here. Jesus is talking to the disciples. Jesus just said it must happen this way. It will happen this way. And Peter says he took him aside. What he did literally was pull him away from the disciples. You're scaring the guys, Jesus. Don't talk this way. And then he says this. 
Literally, if you look at what's happening, Jesus said this would happen. Peter said this will not happen. So what's he saying to Jesus? You don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. Now, a few verses earlier in the same conversation, Peter claims you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now he's saying, but you don't know what you're talking about. Could you see the problem? Can you see the issue there with Peter? And then Jesus' indictment hits the nail on the head. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. You're not mindful of the things of God. That's an interesting Greek word. The word mindful is the Greek word phroneo. It means focus. You're not focused on God things, Peter. You're focused on man's things. So the fact that he pulled Jesus aside and the fact that he rebuked him had a whole lot more to do with his love for Jesus, had to do with his focus on some man's things. And scholars reveal that perhaps Peter was like a lot of Jewish young men. He thought the Messiah would come and be a political hero. This didn't fit in with his narrative of political hero, so he wanted to set Jesus straight. You don't know what you're talking about. This is not going to happen. This is not on the script that I've laid out. Now, Jesus indicts him and said, get behind me, Satan. Now, he's not calling Peter Satan as much as he's identifying Satan as the cause of his misdirected focus. You get behind me, you are not mindful of the things of God. You're not focused on the things of God. Then scholars say, wouldn't this strong language for him to tell Peter to get behind him? This is the not the same language that Jesus used with Satan back in the wilderness. When he said, get behind me, Satan, in the wilderness, he meant get away. Now, the, the structure of this in the original language, get behind me, is this. Peter, you're ahead of me. You're trying to get ahead of me. Get behind me and follow me where you belong. Your place is not ahead of me. Your place is not to direct me and tell me what I'm going to do. Your place is behind me. So he indicts him and says, your focus is all wrong. Now, another clue, of course, is the fact that the other half of the question, Jesus doesn't just say, Peter, do you love me with a God-focused love? He says this, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, the question would be, more than what? Now, scholars would say, well, is he pointing at the boats and say, look, you went fishing all night. You said you're returning to fishing. Do you love me more than your boats? Are you willing to sacrifice that? Some scholars say maybe he's pointing to the disciples. Look, these guys are close to you, and some of them are even family. Do you love me more than you love them? Are you willing to love me more than your stuff? Are you willing to love me more than anybody else close to you? Well, then there's a, another possibility. And the answer to that other possibility is found in a, another conversation. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus says the shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will scatter. And then Peter says this, though everybody will be offended because of you, I'll never be offended. Though everybody will be offended, I'll never be offended. Jesus rebukes him, and then he says, he began to say more vehemently, I'll go to prison, 
and I'll die before I'm offended in you. Though all men may be offended, I'll never be offended. Now, what was he saying? Jesus, I love you more than everybody else does. He was comparing himself with everybody else, and his focus was the fact that my love is greater than everybody else. So, here on the lake, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these people do? Do you love me more than these people do? You see, Peter's misdirected focus is very evident that his misdirected focus was a self-directed focus. Another conversation points this out in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. It's pretty obvious who Peter is focused on in this passage. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthened your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. Simon, Simon. Now, he mentions it twice because he's had to get his attention. And he says, Satan has desired or asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, what happens when you sift wheat? Well, you separate it and take all the good stuff and leave behind the trash. That's exactly what Satan wanted to do, is just leave a wrecked trash of a man with Peter. Also, the Greek word means to pick apart. So literally, Jesus was saying, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to pick you apart. But then he says, but I've prayed for you. Now, what a thought that Jesus is praying for us. Jesus says there's going to be some hard times. It's going to be tough, Peter, but I'm praying for you. What does Peter say? I'm ready. In other words, what's he doing? He's brushing off the need for prayer for Jesus. He's totally brushing it off. He doesn't need the prayers of Jesus. Why? Because I am ready. So we understand that Simon Peter's going into this with a misdirected focus. He's focused on himself. He's focused on others. He's not focused on God. Because of this misdirected focus, Peter failed twice. Now, we think of what happened by the fire with the servant girl. But before he failed Jesus by the fire, he failed him in the garden. Jesus pulled Peter, James, and John aside and said, You stay here and watch while I pray. And Jesus began to pray in agony, a little about a stone's throw from the disciples, within earshot of them. They could hear him pray. He came back, all three of them were asleep. And he says specifically in Mark chapter 14, verse 37, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you watch one hour? Now, this is the man who said he would go to prison for Jesus. This is the man that said he would die for Jesus. And now he can't even stay awake one hour. And he specifically says, Simon, are you sleeping? Can you imagine the disappointment of Jesus 
and the one who said he would stand up for him will not even pray with him. Then he betrayed him. He could not stand up to the questions of a little servant girl. Here's the man who said, I'm ready. Here's the man who said, I don't really need those prayers because I've got this, Jesus. And now he failed. You see, that was the misdirected focus of Peter. Now, Jesus' intentions in this questioning revealed in his instructions to Peter. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Jesus had all the confidence now in the focus of Peter because he trusted him with that which is most precious, which is the sheep of his flock. So he trusted Peter with his sheep. A little bit later on, he asked him again, and he says, tend or shepherd my sheep. There's two different words here. I want you to feed my sheep, and I want you to shepherd my sheep. I'm trusting you with the most precious of what I have, and that's my sheep. So he has confidence in him all along. Now, in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, you remember when he says, Simon, Simon, Satan wants to pick you apart, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen the brethren, that your faith will not fail. And when you've returned, I believe the King James says, when you are converted, doesn't mean that Peter was saved after that. He was already a saved man. He already had confidence and a belief and a confession in Jesus Christ. But it means that he's turned around. He says, when you've turned around, Peter, strengthen the brethren. Now, the word strengthen is a, another Greek word. But it means to establish, to settle. Now, when you're talking about feeding sheep, that strengthens them. When you're talking about shepherding sheep, that settles them. That establishes them. So he had confidence in Peter all along and even predicted that things were going to turn out better. But he also knew that he would fail. But he knew it would not be a failure of the heart, but he knew it would be a failure of just the nerve. When you've come back around and when you've returned, then strengthen the brethren. Now the conclusion is this. What was Jesus doing? He was reinforcing Peter's new God-directed focus. After his failures, the long weekend, and the time with Jesus on the day of resurrection, we see a new attitude and a new focus. How do we see that? Well, look at Peter's response. That's where you have to do a little homework and understand what the original language says. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me, agapo, more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter uses a different word. Now, the old Peter would say, yes, I love you with a God, folks, and the best love you could ever know. The word agapo would be used. He doesn't use that word. He uses phileo. It's a strong love. It's a, it's a brotherly love. It's about all that a human can muster. But he's no longer arrogant. He's no longer boastful. He intentionally uses a different word. Jesus asked him the second time, Do you love me? 
using the strong word. Again, Simon Peter says, you know that I love you, uses phileo, the other word for love. Now, the third time Jesus uses phileo, and that's what grieved Simon Peter. Jesus lowers the bar and he says, so Peter, you're willing to be friends? You're willing to love me as a friend, brotherly love? And it says it grieved him immensely. He's no longer arrogant. He's no longer boastful. He uses that word of a human love, the best human love you can muster. But notice what he says. He says this in verse 17, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. You know all things. Isn't this different from the Peter we saw in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. This will never happen. This can't happen. Now he's saying, you know all things. You know what I did. You know what I said. You know what I am. And you know that I love you with all the love that a feeble human heart can give you. That's a whole different attitude that we see. Jesus is reaffirming and displaying Peter's new attitude. And he's trusting him with the most precious possession that he has. And that's his church. Now, that's the what. Now, let's look at the so what. What does that have to do with us? First of all, Jesus wants to connect with you. Jesus could have eaten anywhere. He could have eaten anywhere that morning, but he wanted to eat with them. So he made sure he had the fire. He made sure he was the right place at the right time to connect with them. He wants to connect with you. He wants to connect, and he wants you to know how good and how right it is to have fellowship. Now, we're all like Peter in this. Sometimes our greatest disappointment in life is ourself. We all wish we could have done something better. We all know that there are times where we failed others, we failed Jesus, we blew it. And Jesus is ready to redirect your focus. He's ready to forgive our failures. He is ready to welcome us back into fellowship with him. He is ready to put us to work in his kingdom. That's what he did with the apostle Peter. He asked him these questions, affirmed his redirected focus, and said, feed my sheep. The last thing that he says to him in verse 19 is this, and follow me. Get where we need to be is behind Jesus, not in front of him, not away from him, but get behind him. Jesus really wants to connect with you this morning. Whatever the past faults that you may have and the regrets you may have and the things that you wish you could have done over a thousand times over, Jesus is ready to forgive. Jesus is ready to restore. And Jesus is ready to put us back into fellowship with him and put us back to work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus did die on the cross, but thank you even more that he was raised on the third day. It must have happened this way because of our sinfulness. But Father, we thank you it also must have happened because of your love for us. 
Father, we ask that you'd help us to see ourselves in Peter. Help us to get a good, honest look at our focus, at where we're going in life, and our attitudes toward ourselves and others. And right now, refocus our hearts to a God-like and a God-directed focus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. May God bless you.